G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As uh, Tuesday rolls around, I know there are a lot of people who are listening in to 2020 who are always uh, keeping an ear tuned for the update that we bring each week on a Tuesday on Israel and the Middle East. And so on a Tuesday, as we like to get our update on breaking news as it's coming out of Israel and the Middle East, our Middle East reporter Ron Ross, who lived in Israel for many years as a correspondent, well, he's with us for an extended time today. Each week, he updates us on the latest breaking news developments as they're happening uh, each week and today, an extended opportunity to hear of those developments. Very shortly, too, we're going to introduce a special guest into our conversation, an international lawyer, Andrew Tucker, who is an Aussie who lives in the Netherlands, works as the executive director of Christians for Israel International. We're going to meet Andrew shortly and some updates on what's happening with some legal issues around settlements in Israel. But let me make a special welcome to our regular uh, updater of all good things and bad that happen in Israel and the Middle East, Ron Ross. Hello, Ron. Welcome back to 2020. Thank you very much, Neil. Good to be with you. Ron, we've got an extended opportunity today, so we don't have to rush so much. Oftentimes, we're rattling through a whole lot of points. As we get into our conversation today, let's talk about Israel for a few moments, because you lived in Israel for many years and were a reporter on a whole lot of issues as they were coming to light now over decades. Tell us about your experience in Israel. Well, it started off with me becoming National Director here in Australia for Bridges for Peace and then being invited uh, by the International Board to move to Israel to conduct a radio program that was broadcast internationally uh, into the United States, the Philippines, the United Kingdom and across Europe and even here in Australia. And uh, it was a wonderful opportunity to, to weave a life into the Israeli fabric uh, to mix with the politicians and the leaders, the journalists from all over the world. Uh, I think it's got the biggest journalistic representation of any capital city in the world, Jerusalem. And uh, mixing with the Israeli army and traveling with them into some locations, uh, it was an eye-opener. Uh, but the thing that impressed me most uh, was their commitment to the Word of God, the Bible, uh, and their knowledge of it. Uh, it, it was quite an experience, and uh, I think for most people who really want to see the Bible come alive, a visit to Israel is the answer. Ron, there'd be some who may be even listening to our conversation today saying, why is it that Christians are so closely watching events in Israel? From your perspective, why is it that Christians are so interested in the Holy Land? Well, I, I think of the book, by Derek Prince, which described Israel as God's timepiece. Throughout my life, I've had many people come and preach on last days ministries, uh, but Derek's advice was if you're interested in the last days, 
you need to know what's going on in Israel. And uh, there are scriptures like the one that comes out of Jeremiah 50, uh, verses 4 to 5, uh, where the Lord says, In those days at that time, declares the Lord, the people of Israel and the people of Judah together will go in tears to seek the Lord their God. And uh, that inspired me. I wanted to be there on that day. I wanted to be there when uh, the Jewish people had the uh, scales removed from their eyes and saw the Messiah. And we also saw evidence from the uh, Old Testament where there were promises that the Jews from the four corners of the earth uh, would return to Israel and this would be a sign. Uh, Well, in my years, uh, I've seen that begin to happen. I've seen Jews come from the four corners of the earth and I've seen them return to Israel. I've seen them recover their Hebrew language. I've seen them uh, run the nation. I've seen them run Jerusalem. And all of these things were predicted in the Old Testament as signs of the times of the coming of Messiah. Uh, So all of that keeps me well and truly focused on what's happening in Israel. You know what is absolutely fascinating about watching Israel? Because we're watching a story of the unfolding of God's faithfulness to his people. And uh, that's got a message in there for uh, not just his people, but for all who are followers of Christ, because uh, we're all to be recipients of God's faithful promises as well. How do you look at God's faithfulness in what's happened with the reformation of the nation of Israel? Well, it's a fulfillment of prophecy. God said he was going to do it, and in his time he's doing it, and he's preparing a people who are prepared to stand up for the word of God. I remember being seated at the home of a a very well-respected rabbi, Rabbi uh, Riskin. Uh, He was introducing my wife and I to his family on Shabbat, and uh, his grandson was to give the message that night, and their message was not to go more than 15 minutes. And this young teenager stood up and Rabbi Riskin said to me, people sharing at our Shabbat are not allowed to repeat anything they've heard before. They've got to study the scriptures and find the new pearls. And this young man spoke for 14 or 15 minutes and blew me away. And I said to Rabbi Riskin, how amazing is that? He said, that's the way we train our young people. And then he sat me between two students uh, from their college and he said to them, you can ask him anything, he's a Baptist pastor. (laughs) And those young men uh, had memorized and knew the word of God in every detail. And I so admired that and I felt so guilty uh, that we're not replicating that in our own society. Ron, I'm sure you held your own on that night. Is that the case? <laughs> I tried to change the subject to quickly, but I didn't know what I was talking about. Okay. All right. Well, look, I want to invite listeners to join in our conversation today, and you might have a question about Israel, uh, why it is that uh, Christians are fascinated and intently looking at the events in Israel as they do unfold, and uh, an important uh, image that Ron brought there as 
reflecting on Israel being God's timepiece. Well, our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Ron, let's get into some of the breaking headlines that are in the news today out of Israel and the Middle East because there are so many big developments and oftentimes when you look at these being reported on the TV news, uh, they're just stories that you're seeing in isolation. So uh, it's good to know when we can uh, draw some dots and uh, put the uh, draw the dots together and uh, and have a bigger picture. Let's start with, with one of the headlines, Ron. Israel reacting to a UNESCO decision last week regarding the ownership of the Cave of the Patriarchs in Hebron. You better explain what the Cave of the Patriarchs is and, uh, and what's the story. Well, uh, it's an amazing story, but what I love about it is the way Benjamin Netanyahu reacted at the cabinet meeting on Sunday. Now, how many leaders around the world open the Bible to express a point of view? And he said, I would like to read from Genesis 23, 16 to 19, in response to the UNESCO decision to declare the cave of Machpelah uh, a Palestinian heritage site. And he read from Genesis 23, and Abraham hearkened unto Ephraim, and Abraham weighed to Ephraim the silver, which he had named in the hearing of the children of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, current money with the merchant. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, the same as Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And the field and the cave that is therein were made sure unto Abraham for a possession of a burying place for the children of Heth. Now, he quoted that, and he said the connection between the Jewish people and Hebron and the tomb of the patriarchs is one of purchase and of history, which may be without parallel in the history of all the nations. And he said, of course, this did not prevent the UNESCO World Heritage Committee last Friday from passing yet another delusional resolution which determined that the tomb of the patriarchs, the same cave of Machpelah, is a Palestinian heritage site. Now, how many leaders stand up and uh, quote the scriptures back at UNESCO? <laughs> That's right. Well, in fact, the UN doesn't always have a favourable position when it comes to the nation of Israel. And Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister, he's ordered that a whole lot of money be diverted away from Israel's funding of the UN. He said, in the wake of this resolution, I decided to cut an additional $1 million from Israel's UN membership dues and transfer the funds to the establishment of the Museum of the Heritage of the Jewish People in Kiryat Abba and Hebron. The money will also serve additional heritage initiatives related to Hebron. Now, I believe this museum is going to be quite amazing. It'll be a, a Bible representation of promises made to Israel through the centuries, and uh, it will serve a wonderful uh, uh, evidence of God's promises to Israel and in your face to UNESCO. Ron, there is a really, really big issue that is breaking, uh, and that is that the uh, Syrian ceasefire is taking place. Now, the, the Prime Minister in Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, has welcomed the Syrian ceasefire, but he's warned Iran not to move in. What's the headline here? It's good news this morning that that ceasefire appears to be still holding, uh, which is quite extraordinary. Uh, but Netanyahu said, however, that such a ceasefire must not enable 
the establishment of a military presence by Iran and its proxies in Syria in general and in southern Syria in particular. He said, I had deep discussions about this last week with the U.S. Secretary of State Tillerson and with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Both told me they understand Israel's position and will take our demands into account. Israel is planning to continue to monitor the situation. He said we will strongly uphold our red lines. Uh, and that's a threat that I, I'm sure he, he means. Uh, that's right. Uh, we're going to be uh, in- introducing another special guest into our conversation very shortly. And uh, we're going to get some, in- uh, some impressions about legalities that are going on uh, in the nation of Israel and so far as some disputed territories go there, as far as the West Bank goes. And uh, we're going to be talking about some of those issues. We are having our talkback line open on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. There might be a whole lot of issues that listeners might like to talk about. Uh, Ron, I want to just uh, introduce uh, some callers uh, who have some uh, some insights or some questions to ask. And so uh, we might not take a lot of time with callers, but let's take an opportunity to take a call or two. Let's hear first of all from Wendy, who is in New South Wales. Hello, Wendy. Welcome along. Hello. Hi, Wendy. What are your thoughts? Well, I just, um, I really enjoy Ron Ross. I just wanted to say hello because I actually met him and his wife in Israel on, at the Hebrew University when I was on tour with Bridges for Peace. Oh, wow. wonderful. 2008. And it, it really, the whole thing, actually, God sent me to Israel. I had no clue about anything. And um, it really changed my whole life. And um, and I look forward to hearing everything you say, Ron. And um, how yeah, long ago was it you were there? Uh, I went on a tour with Bridges for Peace. What year would that have been, Wendy? Two thousand and eight. I think you just retired or something like that from whatever um, you were in. It was at the Hebrew University. Yep. Yeah, I know the place well. And we went to a talk there about um, with one of the professors, whose name I can't remember, but he wrote a book on the real jihad. Right. And, yeah, so I just wanted to say that, you know, that really um, changed my life, that whole experience. And so, and I keenly listened to everything you have to say. I, um, I didn't know why God sent me there, but I do now. <laughs> you still uh, maintain an interest in Israel and the Middle East? Yes, well, I get all the emails every day from um, Breaking Israel News, Messianic Bible, and all of them, and I listen to you, and I know, I understand everything now that's going on there. So, um, and you know, I can discern the truth, and of course, I got right into Bible studies um, all about it ever since, because I grew up in the Anglican Church, and they don't really teach much about Israel there. So, and I understand all that now, so I'm really excited and I'm great that I'm home today and I can actually listen to the program. And so I just want to thank you so much for everything you do and informing us and being so faithful and, and Neil too. <laughs> I, love, I love you both. Well, and, Wendy, just great to hear from you and the idea of having a whole outlook on your life and the things that are in the Bible transformed because of your visit to Israel and your interest in what's happening week to week, the ongoing breaking news, the developments that are happening there. Uh, Ron, when you have seen this over many years, people exposed to the things that are happening in Israel, having gone there too, uh, lives do get 
seriously transformed when we introduce those biblical foundations and people see for themselves that God is doing something significant. Well, even to take people out on the Galilee in the Galilee boat and to visualize Jesus walking on the thing. Uh, I remember one day we were down near where Peter's house was, the Apostle Peter, and we walked into what is now a chapel with great big concrete walls, and uh, Steve Grace was with me, and we began to sing How Great Thou Art, and the, the words were echoing back off the walls to us, and the next minute the whole place just filled with voices, and uh, I thought angels would join us, but they were actually uh, visitors from overseas, uh, Ethiopians, who had joined in behind us and began to sing with us. And the hilarious thing was we went out and we had a great time with them, and the next thing they were taking photographs of Ethiopians walking on water. They'd actually taken a tree stump, put it in the Galilee, and walked on the tree stump. Them. They looked like they were walking on water and they were telling us how excited the people back home would be when they saw the photos. It's an amazing place. Uh, you can't walk down any street without visualising Jesus walked this way or the disciples were in this place. And to sit uh, on the uh, steps where the Apostle Paul preached and visualise that situation is so inspirational. And it brings the fact of the Bible into the reality of what we believe. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. And a special guest with us today, Ron Ross, Vision's Israel and Middle East reporter. And another special guest to introduce into our conversation to Andrew Tucker, who is international lawyer, executive director of Christians for Israel International and a member of the European Coalition for Israel. Uh, Ron, just before I uh, introduce Andrew more formally into our conversation, let me ask you about reporting that comes out of Israel, because... Uh, oftentimes uh, what we're hearing that's coming out of Israel and about the nation of Israel appears to be very distorted. What are your thoughts, uh, just very briefly, before we start to talk to Andrew, about the way that things are reported out of Israel? Well, unfortunately, we've got a very biased press. Uh, the, the major media is very left-wing, and uh, they don't want too much to know about biblical prophecy and biblical fulfilment. And in the time I was there... Uh, there was a tax coming into uh, uh, Kilo in Jerusalem and the Western journalists wouldn't go in to report on it. They would send in Arabs because they'd be safe. And so many times the reporting coming back was distorted. And I had many discussions, quite uh, vocal ones, uh, with different journalists at different times. And a good friend of mine, an Arab journalist, Khaled Abu Tomei, uh, was asked on several occasions uh, to translate stories and to uh, transcribe stories for the American media. And uh, he went into Arafat's domain, and actually while he and the journalist were in there, uh, two men were shot against the wall for various problems. And uh, the American journalist didn't report on it. But Carlo Dabutome in the Jerusalem Post made it front page. And he had a call from a editor in the United States who said, 
How is it that you got this story and you were with my reporter, but my reporter didn't report the story? And Khaled Abu Tomei, uh, who's a very loyal Israeli, uh, said to the editor, that's your problem, not mine. I reported what we saw. And so I'm afraid that kind of bias... I worked a lot with a group called the Media Line, and they reached out to Arab journalists who were working inside the Palestinian territories. But many times those journalists were handing stories over to us because they were afraid to report them. And so they had journalists in Israel write the stories under their byline uh, for fear of their own safety. Well, let's introduce into our conversation Andrew Tucker, who is an international lawyer, and uh, he is an Aussie, uh, these days lives in the Netherlands. He's executive director of Christians for Israel International and a member of the European Coalition for Israel. Andrew Tucker, a special welcome to you. Morning, Neil. Thank you so much. Uh, I imagine that you already know of Ron, even if you haven't met Ron personally. Uh, but uh, But certainly on the same page when it comes to these things. And as Ron is reflecting on the way that often biased media reports on, on these sorts of issues, uh, when you've got biased media... Uh, talking about the developments in Israel and around some very, very complicated issues. I imagine that everybody gets to have their say because everybody claims they're right because things are so, so complex. You've been giving some attention of recent times to uh, some of the legalities around the Israeli settlements in the West Bank and in East Jerusalem and uh, whether or not those are in fact in violation of international law. Uh, is it really the case? Uh, what are your thoughts as an international lawyer on how those processes, the legalities, are unfolding? Right. Well, um, <clears throat> thanks very much, Neil. I, I, I'd sort of um, – going back to what Ron is saying, I think of the idea of media bias is absolutely true in relation to international law as well. And uh, you only have to open the newspaper every day and you hear again that the settlements are illegal, that – um, that Israel has no right to to have united Jerusalem. Uh, the East Jerusalem belongs to the Arabs. It should be the capital of a new Palestinian state and so forth. Um, but it, it's become uh, a little bit like a kind of mantra that people just repeat time and time again. And uh, the reality is, um, and I think when you get into it, that um, you know, Israel is just being again selected for some kind of unique application of international law. Um, and, for example, you hear all the time about the settlements being uh, illegal occupied territories. Well, you know, there are many occupied territories around the world. Um, uh, you know, just take Cyprus, for example, or the Western Sahara, or even Russian presence in, in eastern Ukraine. They're all examples of occupation um, arising out of a conflict situation. Nobody, nobody says that the occupation in those places is illegal. Nobody says that the occupier has to withdraw completely from those territories. In fact, that's not what international law says at all. But they do say that in relation to Israel. So what people are doing is, is using international law, in my view and the view of many others, to achieve actually what are military or political objectives. Um, ever since 1967... Uh, well, probably let's say 1973, the Yom Kippur War, when the Arabs for the last time tried to annihilate Israel. Since that time, they've realized they haven't been able to do it militarily and they're using international diplomacy and international law 
to achieve their objective, which is, at the end of the day, to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. Now, there is an international court of justice, but the international court of justice doesn't appear to have jurisdiction over Israel. I mean, when we have an international court of justice, we might assume uh, that it has some strength and some teeth, some claws, uh, some ability to be able to rule on these sorts of conflicts. But that's not the case, Andrew. No, international law is um, it's, it's very different from municipal law, from, from national legal systems. You don't have a court which has, you know, if you have a problem with your neighbour here in Australia... There's a system for going to court to uh, express your your concerns, your grievances, and to resolve the conflict. Okay, you don't have that international law. The International Court of Justice, based in the Hague, only has two kinds of jurisdiction. One is when there's two states that consent to uh, to that court having jurisdiction, they can go to the court, and the court can make a binding uh, decision. Um, the other is when United Nations um, institutions can go to the court for a, an advisory opinion, which is what they did in 2004 in relation to the security fence, you might recall. Um, and this is when the court came out with this um, actually a terrible opinion for many reasons, very, very poorly reasoned. Uh, they came out with this, this statement that all Israeli settlements are illegal now, people take that as being kind of the gospel, but it's not. It's just a statement in an advisory opinion by a court which has no binding jurisdiction. Um, but so, so the first point is the court doesn't have this kind of um, automatic role of deciding disputes. The thing to watch out for is the International Criminal Court, also based in The Hague, very different institution. It's about applying international criminal law. And there is the beginnings of a proceedings at the moment in The Hague in relation to Israel's settlements. And that criminal court does have teeth because they can prosecute leaders of nations who are uh, guilty of committing crimes against humanity or war crimes. And uh, unfortunately, this idea of settlements has been, um, has been seen as a kind of war crime, which in itself is completely absurd, but that's exactly what's happening. So there's propaganda that will be used against those who are pro-Israel, uh, as much as there will be those defences that are made for Israel uh, doing what it may legally have the right to do. If I come to you, Ron Ross, uh, one of the biggest stories that's been breaking uh, overnight and over these past couple of days has to do with the fall of Mosul in northern Iraq. And you've been following along that uh, story very closely, Ron Ross. In Mosul, uh, the fighting is ending, but uh, the real test really begins from now, doesn't it? Yeah, we've got a couple of threats we've got to be concerned about. Iran's talking about the U.S. getting out uh, and Iran going in, and that's shaking the daylights out of Netanyahu and Israel. But we've got to understand that ISIS went into Iraq not just to conquer but to settle. And in every territory in Iraq under its control, ISIS took over schools and mosques, installing radical imams and teachers to inject its ideology into a new generation. 
This is something we've got to keep very aware of even here. But as ISIS loses ground, the civilians it spent years indoctrinating are now scattered across the country in refugee camps. Some camps are reported to have inhuman living conditions. Others are plagued by retaliatory violence against their Sunni Muslim residents or provide a potential incubator for terror. They were training children from six to seven years old to hold weapons and kill people. Now, I've heard an interview of a mother who talked about her child going to one of these ISIS schools and coming home very much a bully boy, threatening his brothers and sisters and suggesting that he would kill them. Uh, she said they gave them courses that encouraged violence and taught them the concept and ideology of jihad. In math, instead of teaching them that one plus one equals two, they taught them that one bullet plus one bullet equals two bullets. They opened workshops to prepare the boys to fight, show them how to build muscle, things like that. They put young boys in mosques and gave them lectures on Islam and how to be a true jihadi. Now, from a praying Christian's point of view, uh, this is an important area of intercession uh, so that the ISIS influence is totally removed. And, Rod, there is a major project that really gets underway from now, and particularly in Mosul, uh, a program of deprogramming those kids who've been indoctrinated in the way that they have been. Yes, there is. Uh, and uh, the people are in there trying to get that, that work underway now, and they're very concerned just how many young people are involved. Okay, well, we may well come back to some more on this particular topic. We've got lots of callers uh, who've been waiting very patiently. Let's take some quick calls. We might take some quick comments. Uh, let's first of all hear from Jason in Victoria, who's been waiting for uh, quite a while, very patiently. Hello, Jason. Welcome along. Good afternoon, Ron, Andrew and Neil. How are you, guys? Uh, very well. Quickly, Jason, what's your I like thought? To say that, I like to say that Australian... Christians should pray for Israel and for peace in Israel, as the Bible says, and so that we can be blessed. And all I can say is we need peace in Israel. We do, and pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's what we're called to do in the Scriptures. i just get a response here from Ron Ross. Uh, the, uh, the way that when we report on these breaking news issues, oftentimes for a lot of people it's their prayer list uh, when they're talking about praying for the nation of Israel. What are your thoughts on prayer for the nation and uh, in response uh, to Jason's comment? essential. Uh, the Bible says if you bless Israel, you'll be blessed. If you curse Israel, you'll be cursed. That's right at uh, Genesis 12. And uh, I believe very strongly in, in praying for the peace of Jerusalem, uh, interceding for them. I have many Jewish friends that I still pray for constantly, and I have great Christian friends in Israel who are making a dynamic stand. One of them, I think you know, on vision, uh, stand good enough. And uh, these people are very courageously making strong stands and interceding for the peace of Jerusalem. And when you look, the Bible says the nations of the world will surround Jerusalem. And when I watch what's happened at the United Nations uh, and UNESCO making decision after decision after decision that's totally anti-Semitic, I see that representing the nations of the world. And I'm so pleased with the United States Ambassador, Nikki Haley, who has called them out continuously. And so our prayers are very, very important. Thank you to Jason from Victoria for your insight today. And let's hear from Penny in Tasmania. Hello, Penny. Welcome oh. along. Hello. How are you? 
Very well, Penny. What are your thoughts? Um, look, I just want to say um, a congratulations and thank you to both Andrew Tucker for being in Europe and standing for Christians and for Ron Ross, my husband and I listen to you every week and you're teaching us. But I have one question. Um, <coughs> the word Arab, I want, would like to know where that originates from because I have been told that it means um, just a person living in the Middle East. Is that accurate? Uh, Ron oh. Ross, the, the word Arab, is that representative of a person who lives in the Middle East? Where does it come from? Oh, I'm not really sure about that. I know Philistines um, uh, and the Palestinians are linked. and uh, But the Arab world is just a... They're all Semitic races. The, the Jews and the Arabs are both Semitic. And I often wondered if they ever united and one's got the oil and one's got the passion, uh, how effective they might be. Uh, but I can't uh, give you a definite answer on the uh, foundation of the word Arab. OK, well, let's see if Andrew Tucker has a little in more, more insight. Andrew? Well, I th- my understanding is um, you, know, you have Saudi Arabia. Arabia yep. is, is that whole peninsula of what we now call Saudi Arabia. That's the home uh, really of, of Islam. Uh, Mecca and, and Medina are there. Um, so what what happened is the the Arab culture and the Arab language went out and covered the Middle East when the Islamic leaders Muhammad and his followers took Islam into the region, and and many of these countries and people now speak Arabic. It's their it's their language, but actually they're not Arabs. You know, Egypt, the ethnic Egyptians are not Arabs. No. Um, people who come from Iran, they're not Arabs, they're Persians. Persian, yeah. So there's, and many, many Syrians, they're not really Arabs. So there's this kind of idea that they're all, all one race, but they're, they're not. I think as Ron is saying, there, there are different ethnic groups there, many, most of them Semitic, uh, groups. Um, and it's, it, it, they have their own identity. Okay, well, thank you to Penny for a great, insightful question. And we'll take another call. Let's hear from Chris in Victoria. Hello, Chris. G'day, Neil. Good to have you back. Uh, G'day, Andrew and Ron. Uh, Yeah, I just want to say that this is a great time for the Jews to acknowledge the Abrahamic covenant. They should uh, yell it out and, like, tell the people that God blesses those who bless us and curses those who curse us. And just look at the Islamic world. It's a case in point. They're in turmoil everywhere. They're, you know... There's no blessing there. So they, the Jews themselves should acknowledge their God and the Abrahamic covenant. A good point, Chris. Uh, your response, Ron Ross? Well, I think the Jews very, very prominently do that, particularly Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, but Chris is absolutely right. Uh, you wonder why all these populations are fleeing from uh, Muslim-controlled countries and trying to come to the West or even to Israel, and it's because of the prosperity of life that comes under the Ten Commandments. And uh, the Abrahamic Covenant is the foundation of all of that. And so, yes, I agree totally. Uh, I just wish some of our politicians would also make... I don't know if anyone saw the comment this week on Facebook uh, by Vladimir Putin. He, he accused all the Western leaders of letting Christianity down. He talked about how he defends Christianity in Russia, while Western leaders allow pedophile behaviour... 
uh, homosexuality and all of these things to become legalized within their societies. And he was challenging them to defend Christianity with the same vigor that he does in Russia. I found it hilarious. It is. Uh, thank you so much uh, to that insight from Chris in Victoria. Uh, let's uh, let's just change to direction just a little. Uh, coming back to the idea that children have been indoctrinated uh, in places like Mosul, where uh, ISIS has had control over these past few years, uh, the idea of indoctrination isn't just uh, just isolated to various cities or nations, and uh, we've been talking about the media, but there is a major issue to do with law. In fact, uh, they're talking about a concept called law fair, and there is a new think tank that has been raised up to counter uh, some of the things that are happening so far as uh, legal movements against Israel. In fact, Andrew Tucker, who is with us in the studio today, it's his initiative called Think, T-H-I-N-C. Andrew, what does think mean? Well, think means exactly what it says. We need to think about what's actually happening, what's going on. Um, and and our, our motto, as it were, is to say, well, when you think about it, Israel may not be the obstacle to world peace. It may, in fact, be the key to world peace. So we want um, we want to fight really against this whole kind of mantra that uh, that the you know Israel's presence and the presence of Jewish people <clears throat> in the old city of Jerusalem and in Judea Samaria is somehow illegal, and everything that goes with it. Um, so we came together with – there were 30 international lawyers from over 10 nations. We came together in the Peace Palace last week for a two-day conference to talk about this and to launch this new initiative. Um, you know, international law is, is a very complex thing and it's also um, – um, it, it's never as black and white as people say. So it, it's being – I believe and many of us believe it's being misused um, by – the media, by those who want to see the, the destruction of the Jewish state um, to, to achieve that end. And, and that's what we object to. You know, it's a misuse of law. It's a misuse of the international legal system. It, and and un- unfortunately, our, our leaders are sort of being sucked into that whole thing. Mm. Now, they need to be given the tools to raise a different voice. If you look at, for example, the UNESCO resolutions, which – uh, sort of coming out now with increasing uh, frequency and this latest one about Hebron. Well, UNESCO doesn't make decisions out of the blue. It's, it's nations who make decisions. So it's up to the ambassadors of the representatives of nations in the UNESCO in Paris or in the UN institutions in the General Assembly or the Security Council. They need to raise a voice. But those leaders can't raise a voice if they don't have the tools and the knowledge to do it. So our goal as THINK is to develop um, uh, papers, to develop uh, symposia. We're going to do seminars, teaching programs, and we want to do it in lots of different nations so that somehow, hopefully, that this message will reach into the leadership of of our nations. And so you've come up with a document, and uh, I have it in my hot little hand. It's entitled, Are the Israeli Settlements in the West Bank Illegal Under International Law? It is a position paper, and it's uh, part of this initiative, THINK, T-H-I-N-C, 
the Hague Initiative for International Cooperation. Uh, is this a document that is uh, highly uh, full of legal jargon? Uh, will listeners appreciate getting a copy of this if they? What will they? What will listeners, ordinary listeners? Uh, is this something that's useful to to people, or perhaps uh, in their prayer life, or uh, or just to understand what's going on? De- definitely, we've tried to write this document that's in reasonably straightforward language for non-lawyers, whether you're lay people or people involved in government or even media. So I think that this is something that that readers should read um, because it also helps you. I mean, all of us get involved in conversations, don't we, in our families and our friends. It's this difficult kind of hot potato about Israel, and we often don't quite know how to respond. So this paper um, is intended to try and help all of us with with a number of key um, items, factual and legal arguments. Um, very, I think it's fairly readable, so I'd encourage um, anybody to 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 get a hold of a copy and to talk about it, to open the discussion with others. Don't be afraid to raise questions and put put a challenge to people. When somebody tells you about the settlements being illegal, ask them, on what basis do you think that international law prohibits Jewish people from living in the old city of Jerusalem and see what they come up with. Mm. Uh, Ron Ross, a response from you, uh, particularly when we hear things uh, like this from Andrew Tucker, uh, that what happens with Israel, uh, while we talk about conflict between Israel and the Palestinians and uh, a catalyst for uh, war or conflict, uh, but the fact that uh, that what happens with Israel may actually be a key to world peace. Uh, what are your thoughts, Ron Ross? Well, I think that's, that's an indication of that is in the Bible, and it's been written about by fellows like uh, uh, Derek Prince and Don Finto have written about it years ago. Uh, but it's something that uh, unless we're uh, biblically alert, we ignore the fact that, uh, as I said earlier, Derek Prince said, uh, Israel is God's timepiece, and we need to be focused on the blessings that are flowing in Israel and uh, how those blessings uh, can flow to the rest of the world. Uh, I love uh, visiting the website Israel21C, which means 21st century. And on that website, they're continually releasing details of new medical and scientific uh, uh, discoveries that are being made in universities and in surgeries and places, laboratories in, a, in Israel. And it's mind-blowing how these discoveries are impacting the whole world uh, with such a small population. And I, I do believe uh, that as, as we focus on bringing God's love and his blessing to Israel, that will come back to us. Ron Ross is our guest, Visions Israel and Middle East reporter, and an extended opportunity today to talk through issues to do with Israel and those events that are unfolding in the Middle East. Our other guest this morning is Andrew Tucker, international lawyer, executive director of Christians for Israel International, and we've been hearing about his initiative with this new think tank called Think, T-H-I-N-C, and the idea that there is a battle to be fought in the courts. 
under what is referred to as lawfare when it comes to issues to do with Israel and the Middle East. We'll be back in just a few moments to draw some loose ends together, and I'm going to ask these two gentlemen about uh, ways that they might speculate about what's coming in the near future uh, for the nation of Israel and those issues that are unfolding in the Middle East. Back with more in just a few moments. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Two guests with us, Ron Ross and Andrew Tucker, international lawyer. Uh, We've only got a few minutes left in our conversation, gentlemen. And I want to uh, perhaps rather than draw loose ends together, because there's been so much we've talked about. uh, If I come to you first, Ron Ross, uh, if you're speculating about the future of what things are likely to happen in Israel and the Middle East over these coming next few years, so short term idea, uh, what are your thoughts, Ron Ross? Well, I think a lot depends on how substantial the Trump administration is in the United States. Uh, It's very obvious that they're very pro-Israel and they're working towards a peace agreement. And I saw this morning uh, that Netanyahu has some alternative ideas to the traditional peace agreement. Uh, But there are so many activities going on in the Middle East. We look at the isolation of Qatar and the continuing struggle between Sunni and Shiite Muslims and how that might impact the area. Uh, But there was a movie that came out recently called Faith Keepers, and it really struck me that this was made by American Jews who live in Israel, and they were saying that Christianity in the Middle East is in itself threatened. In an interview about Faith Keepers, Paula Kreskin, who produced the film, said they're always the same thing. We didn't know how bad it actually is. When we considered the extent of persecution and what it means for the future of Christianity in the Middle East, we're talking about the possibility that Christianity there could become extinct. And I think there's a genuine challenge to the Church of Jesus Christ in Israel and around the world to unite together to pray for the revival, churches to stop competing with each other and become the kingdom of God. And then I think we will have power and authority to make all kinds of differences in Israel and elsewhere. Uh, Let's get a thought or two on what might be coming into the near future and their battles ahead. Andrew Tucker, your thoughts, just very briefly. Well, um, I I think Ron mentioned it earlier as well. Jerusalem, I think, is, is really the key. Um, we know biblically that Jerusalem is the cup of, of trembling for the nations, the rock that, that they can't deal with. Um, so we're definitely seeing a move sort of preparing a scenario where nations will go up against Jerusalem. I think it's happening in the United Nations. So I, I would expect that in the next period, I don't know exactly when, but there will be more move not only to make statements about the illegality of Jewish people in uh, in in the in the heart of the biblical Judea and Samaria, but um, also to enforce that. Um, so, so I think we're going to reach a scenario where where nations are going to want to impose some kind of peace agreement uh, between Israel and the Palestinians, and it won't it won't be to the benefit of Israel. No. 
And for those listeners who listen to our Tuesday updates, breaking news out of Israel and the Middle East, it's in one of those segments that we'll oftentimes uh, be monitoring along the developments that are happening in Israel and the Middle East. So expect to hear more in this time slot uh, or slightly earlier each week when we have Ron as our guest and uh, bringing those uh, breaking news items for us. Ron Ross, uh, thank you so much for being a part of 2020 today. And Andrew Tucker, international lawyer, let me just mention the new position paper that addresses that issue. Are the Israeli settlements in the West Bank illegal under international law? That is available in the Vision Store, that document. It is only just hot off the presses. I think it's, uh, I think it'll cost you $10. Uh, there's a link to the store at vision.org.au. And for Melbourne listeners, Andrew is speaking in Melbourne on Friday evening. He's speaking at the Frankston Baptist Church. Uh, to both of you gentlemen, Ron Ross and to Andrew Tucker, thank you so much for taking part in 2020 today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.